Welcome to the first episode in 2021 of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we have Evan Payne joining us to talk with us about building a side project using AngularJS. Evan, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah, so uh, my name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front-end software engineer at a company called NetCentric. It's a European-based consultancy. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of front-end stuff. I'm really into Dungeons and Dragons lately. Uh, and my favorite uh, happy hour beverage is kind of anything with vodka in it. Though being over in Spain, um, a nice red wine, a Tinto, is also uh, very choice. Though currently I'm drinking some coffee. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not drinking the happy hour beverage right now because you are joining us very early in the morning to work with all of our schedules. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I appreciate that. Nice early morning for you. So coffee makes sense. Let's also go around and give introductions of today's panelists. Shirley, you want to start it off? Hi, I'm Shirley, and I'm an independent creator of data visualizations. Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix, who actually just joined a new team recently. I will still be a manager at Netflix. Joined our productivity engineering organization, leading the developer infrastructure and tools team. Uh, so I'm excited to be starting a new role. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Library. Library. Libraries. All right. If we say the word library, libraries, plural, whatever it is, we will all take a drink. Before we jump in, I wanted to maybe highlight, Evan, uh, you and I started talking about a project that you've been working on, specifically using Angular as a side project. And maybe before we jump into discussing working with side projects, I'd be curious, just give us a little bit of a highlight of what you're working on. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I have my, my normal job, but um, I've always kept my skills up to date by working on little side projects, because I think one of the best ways to learn anything is to have something that you are trying to solve in the moment that scratch your own itch, so to speak. And um, I'd always wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons since I was a kid. I finally got started with my family. Um, once my oldest daughter was old enough to play with us, it just kind of clicked into place and we play sort of once a week a session and I run the game, so I'm the game master. And the notes I was taking of the lore of the collaborative story that we're telling as we play and roll the dice and all, they were just getting so out of control because you have you know locations that you visit and the descriptions of those and then references to things that they did and people they met and it, when you're in the middle of one session trying to look up who they met six months ago and then you try to get back to your session it was just out of control so starting really simple the core of what i was building was uh, cross-linked notes so i kind of like Rome research you could click on a link within your session notes bounce over to that um, non-player character um, or location notes and then bounce back really quickly because it was just a link but you never left the page so it's a single page application as well then from there it just kind of grew and expanded and it took me a year of sort of weekends and nights but uh, back in October I finally launched dungeonmastery.app and it's been going really well I've got like 700 plus signups wow. you know handful maybe like 50 active users but that's great for one man show. So I'm, I'm really pleased with it. It's wow, been, that's, it's that's been helping awesome. me as a game master as well. One of the things that comes to mind, like when I think of side projects is why create side projects, but you, for me personally, that's always been the thing is, or you kind of hit a couple things there for me is like one, just like to keep your skills, like, and try something different, or maybe, maybe it is trying a complete new library cheers but yeah you're, you're trying some new technology and you want to apply it or really just doing something fun like it is it's really interesting you don't have to necessarily be perfect it's not production code well in this case i think i would consider that you're building it for other users so it is getting to that point but i also love just the fact of like solving a problem you solved a problem that you were having and just made your life easier. And then it's like, I bet others could use this. And then you just throw it out there and people enjoy it. I think that to me is, is really satisfying. There's been tools that I've created on the side, it's even sometimes very buggy, but they might just help me or they help others. And I, I really enjoy that. So that's always been a motivation for me whenever I do side projects. I don't know, Jem, Shirley, any, 
any motivations differently for doing side projects? I, I, I do. And I did want to ask you this, Evan, because I remember when you, uh, when you launched this back in October, or at least when you shared it with us, I was like, wow, this is impressive. Like this, I need to do more stuff. I, I'm always like, I should, I should do more side projects, things like that. But increasingly what I'm running into is just the motivation to do things. It, I think in the beginning, I was driven by, can I do this thing? And, and now that I'm more knowledgeable, I know that I can build these things. I can build most things that I want to build. It doesn't matter how complex it is. I know that I can sit down and put my brain to it and get it done. So I guess for people who do do side projects, like Evan, you're a family family man and you're busy, you have a full-time job. How do you find the motivation to come back and do these things? Because I just don't anymore. It's just like the fire isn't there as, as much. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, and certainly at the end of last year, I was feeling that too, where there were a few things I still wanted to get done on the app, uh, but I was burnt out. Like it was the, it was a crazy year to begin with. And then somehow the work just kept increasing even into December. Um, and I know a lot of people have felt that way too. Everyone panicked because the beginning of the year was so unproductive that they wanted to get more done. But um, yeah, you have to be forgiving for yourself for that. And if you don't have the motivation, that's fine too. But then be aware that that's a sign of burnout and give yourself a little bit of a break and then come back to it fresh. So I took a couple of weeks off where I didn't do anything. And then I was like, I need to do something again. And <laughs> that passion sort of returned. That's, that's the only thing I could do. Long term, the sustainability of it was more, you know, people do crossword puzzles on weekends. I kind of create a little new feature for the app. That's about it. And spending a lot of time thinking about it and not coding also helps keep the balance. Evan, do you also find like another motivation? Because Jem, I don't disagree with you. I'm totally in that similar boat where I sometimes I'm just like, oh, I, I could do that, but I'm, you know, just don't find the motivation for it. I'm wondering too, Evan, with yours, as you've had people using it, is that a motivation in itself where people are seeing value in it? And you're like, does that kind of help keep the motivation going? Yeah, big time. Um, especially these last few weeks, I did another kind of announcement post on Reddit and you know, minimal enough response, but people have been really supportive or constructive. I guess that's um, a better word for it with saying like, oh, I missed this feature. And it either allows me to say, hey, yeah, that's great. I'll add it to my backlog or um, I'm not doing that because of this reason, which which hones my purpose a little bit. Um, yeah, but but having a Discord community as well and, you know, a handful of people in there that are super supportive and thankful and grateful, that also really makes it... Um, feel good to work on it and, and add new features and expand upon that. I love uh, what you hit on about allowing yourself to have a break because I find that, um, so I've done a lot of side projects and when I was working full-time, I used to do side projects all the time around the clock. And, um, and now that I'm independent, uh, I feel like the line between like personal projects and client projects are a little bit kind of um, blurred. And I find that I approach burnout a lot just because especially in the earlier years, um, I just worked so much. Um, and that whole like, I, I guess we call it being kind to yourself. <laughs> I'm like not good at being kind to myself. <laughs> um, but I I really love what you said there, Evan, about just like, being forgiving and letting ourselves be like, we've been working really hard and we don't feel like working on this right now because side projects are just supposed to be like a fun thing that gives us joy. Like there's like, unless, you know, there's like people demanding for it. And even if there's people demanding for it, like I like to tell myself, like you don't owe them anything. So <laughs> it's like, unless you're like taking their money, like you I like you don't owe them anything. So I feel like side projects are just supposed to be for like the fun of it and the passion of it. And I love what you said about because of that, like, or you were that you said, like, we could be forgiving about it. And for not having fun, that we should take a step back. And when you like, just have enough of a step back, you naturally have that passion again. Like, I, uh, I think I resonate with that a lot. Um, and I also had a question about, um, I think you kind of hinted at this too. I feel like there's like a tension whenever I create a new project between, um, I've identified this about myself that I love creating a project. Like I love um, 
like starting out and figuring out the like architecture of what I'm building. And like, I love, I love that, like making something out of nothing, but then I'm really not good at maintaining. And I, that's something I wanted to ask you about, because it sounds like now you're like, you're adding new features, but you're also maintaining um, what people are requesting from you. That can be quite challenging. And I mean, maybe this gets into our discussion of, of Angular a bit. Um, for me, I consider this project uh, a kind of a journeyman piece, which is to say, um, I've learned so much over the years and I've been using certain techniques and little, you know, libraries, cheers, um, cheers. and helpers cheers. Cheers. to to get myself comfortable with um, the, the code and, and set, set a good base for myself. And now having that in place, I was, it, all of the choices I was making were um, what much more well thought out than usual. A lot of side projects, you just try something new, toss it together. This was, I'm going to use my, my stack, the thing that I'm comfortable with. I'll add in a few new things, like I switched to Tailwind at some stage for, for the CSS, and that's been really, really great. But generally, having that base that I'm the most confident in has allowed me to make the right architectural decisions so that when I think something is going to be a challenging feature, it ends up being like a few hours because... It, it, it's kind of already naturally there. That's not true for all of the cases. There's one new thing I'm working on now, which is like, I've spent days just going, should I even try and do this yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you need to be comfortable with the code base. So um, when, once you are, then it just makes it easier. Yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I guess getting to that point too, on the Angular side, what, what made you choose that as your library of choice? Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Evan's um, gonna be so caffeinated. <laughs> exactly. I'm already got the shakes. Um, yeah. When we were uh, so at the company I was working for, or I'm working for now, one of my mentors there had started a new project and really wanted to use Angular. It was still in alpha when he chose it, and then moved into beta. This is Angular two. So I came onto that project towards the tail end, and kind of enjoyed it, although it was really hard for me at that stage because I wasn't that much into JavaScript. I just really started this job and though I was okay at it because I'd done a lot of PHP, it was all kind of Greek to me. But being there since it was in Angular 2 beta and then coming out live and then being able to choose that as what I wanted to use for other projects as we brought them in, um, eventually, we did a project in NativeScript as well, which is a mobile um, version of that. Um, yeah, it just, it it came really naturally. So it was someone else's choice to begin with, but then I really embraced it. And over time, I've become really comfortable and confident and haven't found something that really quite replaces it in the same way that lets me work fast. I'm not surprised to hear you say fast. And like the speed aspect is something mm -hmm. that even in the early days of Angular, like I, I remember using it really early, like in one of the early versions, like one dot something. That's what it would really, really impress me with it is how quickly you could spin something up. You had like a lot of components running to like build an application that normally, especially that would have been coming off of backbone days, or I remember using like knockout JS and, and, and they were great, but you still had to do a lot of work to get something to where with angular, it was like out of the box. There was things that I was like, wow, I just got this working in a, in a couple hours. I thought that was always really impressive. I kind of wondered if there was an aspect of speed there. Yeah. And every time I try and go back to something like Vue, um, cause I'm very out of the react world, like. Um, I'll, I'll tell a story about that later if we come back to it, but I do like Vue a lot. And when I come back to it, I'm just not as fast. Like I try and get something done and it's just, it's not that Vue itself can't be fast. It's that I'm not familiar with it enough to know how to fit everything together quickly. Um, whereas with Angular, as you say, it's parts included, so to speak, and you just reach for a thing and it's there. That has side effects of course as well which is that the bundle size is larger and you yep. it, it, tree shaking is getting better but it's not as good as the other ones still i really like it i really like the speed that it gives me so for now i'm sticking with it evan you're, you're like bringing up this really critical point in front-end development which is like it doesn't matter what you use like we we bang on and people argue about react and angular <laughs> and view and 
Ember. Like, yeah, we go on. We we like have good good fun about it. But like, it really doesn't matter what you use. Like, whatever you're most efficient <laughs> in to get the job done. Like, that's it. Sure, maybe if you're building some super ultra NASA application and you need to like be as fast and slim and all these things. Sure, there's probably a framework for you. But in general, in 99% of the cases, do what Evan's doing. Do do what like you're fastest in. And you don't have to like have this cognitive overhead about how to do this and how to do that. What should I use GraphQL or should I use this? And I don't know. I feel like people get hung up on that and then they never get anywhere. Yeah. They're like, oh, how's that stock project going? Well, I'm still trying to decide the database I want to use. And it's just like, just build it. And Ooh, I, like, nobody's judging you on this. I just recently had this realization of uh, how much I uh, associate my, like, I feel like as software engineers, we like put so much of our identity into, or like we we associate so much of our own identity with like what we use and like we're like oh I'm a view developer or like a react developer or something and I realized recently that like no it's just they're all just tools in your toolbox yeah. and you should just use whatever works for whatever project you're making um for me particularly it was about like data visualization and I put so much of my identity tied so much of my identity to that and then I realized no just like it's just a set of tools that lets me like think about data better. Tools come and go too, right? Like, yeah. Tools come and Gosh. go. They like that's the thing is like don't get so stuck on the one because then it's like the next day it's the new hotness that you're like, I want to jump on that. I mean, if you aren't gonna tattoo that and brand yourself with like <laughs> being a React developer, it's probably a smart thing not to do. It's like because it, it's like in two years from now, something's the new hotness is gonna be out there anyways. And things change like i like mentioned even just me jumping into early <laughs> angular days and what what had changed for me over jumping from like backbone this is why i'm a late adopter i don't try anything i don't try a library cheers until about like a year and a half to two years in and like there are like 10 people telling me i should try it that's how i adopt libraries cheers again <laughs> i'm not like that i jump head in you know um, something new I'll, I'll give it a try but if I don't have a purpose for it, it doesn't really work. So um, recently I had a purpose, which was I needed to end up with a web component, but I still wanted to do something with frameworks. And so I thought, oh, someone mentioned that Svelte had sort of built-in compiling to web components. Like you could create the root of your app as a web component with Svelte. So I started using Svelte and I really, really liked it. It's not that that's gonna replace Angular. Like I'm not fully invested yet, but again, it comes back to having that very particular use case and just saying, okay, well, let's try and solve it with this and see how it works. And I was really pleasantly surprised at how that worked and how lightweight it was. And yeah, there's some hiccups. Again, trying to get Tailwind also to work with Svelte was not an easy thing with the web component setup. I think as a basic thing, it works fine. But still, you know, you spend a while figuring out that problem and you move on. That That's fun too. Um, and I think one of the best things about being a front-ender is that these kinds of things can be fun as well as good work. Mm, I think maybe I'm just a very slow learner. This is something I've accepted about myself. So <laughs> when someone's like, just pick it up. And I'm like, it takes me so long to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're also not telling you how long it took them to pick it up either. It's, like, <laughs> ah, it's easy because it is like to Evan's point is once you know the tools, it becomes yeah. easier, right? But it, that hurdle off the start, it's like there's, I've had so many times where I'm fiddling with like a build and just trying to get it to work. Yeah. And and once you do it enough times, it's like, yeah, it becomes a lot easier. You're like, oh yeah, it's so easy to set up Webpack. It's, you know, it's I, I can do that no problem. But that first time is not that easy. And I think that <laughs> people seem to forget that. Uh, I, I will never forget trying to pick up Angular 1. This was, again, I didn't really know JavaScript. This was back when I was still working with WordPress. And I was like, well, this is the hot new thing. The CSS trick tells me this is cool. So let me try and learn it. And I took a course and like I studied and it just never clicked. And I just couldn't do it. Um, and I gave up, which is rare for me, but I did. And then later I look back at it now. I'm like, I still don't know if I would actually go with that. Um, <laughs> You know, I blame Chris Coyer for that one on CSS tricks, you know. <laughs> Ooh, I would love to hear your React story. Oh, yeah. So for that mobile project we had to do, um, I had to spend some time figuring out what framework we were going to suggest to the client for it. 
Um, we had already been building some stuff in Angular, so I was obviously more confident with that. Ionic was kind of already burnt to us because we wanted to do proper hybrid, which is to say, like, run as native as possible. And yep. so basically, these other solutions, they like React Native will pack a, um, a virtual machine to run the JavaScript, and then the actual UI components are the native components on Swift or uh, Java. So I spent almost a week comparing the building the same little POC in both React uh, Native and in NativeScript, which had Angular. And by the time that was over, I really didn't like React Native. And I, I think the main reason was not necessarily the code. I mean, it's component-based. It's, it's yep. similar in, enough in nature, but it's that it wasn't batteries included. It wasn't prescriptive enough. So you're looking up how to do something, how to set up this particular thing or how to build this and what the right structure for things should be. There were a hundred different opinions and no consensus. Whereas in Angular, yeah, there might be two ways, but generally this is the one you go for. And again, that project was of a type that we needed to work as fast as we could. So I went with native script and said, yeah, we're just gonna do this because we're already comfortable and it's prescriptive. The combination was just, there, there wasn't a choice. Yeah, that's I love that story, story though. No, I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, you, we've talked about that on previous episodes of when you're thinking about different frameworks to use and, and there are obviously the trade-offs where it's like, maybe you do want to be, have something very prescriptive that you can just run with. And it, it's really clear to everyone how to do that thing. But then there's times where you're like, no, I need a lot more flexibility. But I think also what I love about that story too is you're thinking through those trade-offs and like what's best for the team. Like that's how you should be evaluating it. Not necessarily like what's the hot new tool or like everyone says that React Native is the coolest thing to use. It's like, yeah, but what's best for our team and what's going to achieve our goal. And I think that's like, what's the most important piece of that story too. I like that. Yeah. We, we, we also, I mean, I remember my, my again, the same mentor that, that chose to use Angular um, reading articles and all that. I was like, I, I, I really like this idea of state management, like, you know, Redux had just gotten sort of started, or at least the flux pattern had just been sort of scoped out. And I was like, I like this. And he was like, we're not using that yet. I was like, why? He's like, you'll know when you need it. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I, I kind <laughs> of think we need it. But I wasn't, I was probably not correct at that moment. But later on, like, now I just kind of include it by default. <laughs> for, for Angular, there's this NGRX, which... I don't know. I just get really comfortable with the actions and reducers and the side effects and things like that. And I had, I add it to all my projects almost whether they need it or not, because eventually I know that they will need it, but that's for my stuff. Um, but I, I do really like his methodology of saying, don't reach for a tool just because it's new, just make sure that you need it because that technical debt that you take on, you mm -hmm. have to be really, really care cautious <laughs> with that. I, I like that. Um, software engineering is hard. <laughs> you, it, it genuinely is like you, you want to use, you want to stay current and you want to use the newest technologies, newest ways of thinking, uh, newest, uh, libraries, cheers and frameworks that utilize, say like newer technologies out there and just newer protocols, things like that. But you also want to use things that are proven and tried and true and have the knowledge that the newer something is, the more edge cases it's going to have that you haven't thought of. So you need to be really careful about where you apply new technology. And then old technology is going to be, or I won't say old, but older technology is going to be more proven, more readmes, more tutorials, better support, usually better community, things like that. And somewhere in there, you have to like find where you want to be. Because if you go too old, then you're using, uh, <laughs> then your Facebook stuck writing PHP still, which is nothing wrong with PHP, but like they're still stuck writing PHP and they built an entire tooling around it, all that, because they decided to stick with a kind of an older language, relatively speaking for the web. Then you have like a startup who's using like the newest, hottest thing. And then people try to onboard and they're like, oh yeah, this was hot five years ago, but it actually turns out it was a fluke. And now we're stuck working on this as well. So like, you really have to split the middle and like figure out where you want to be as far as software. And it's just like the thoughtfulness that we don't necessarily put into it. It's always like, who's the person on Twitter who's got a ton of followers and what are they telling me? What is, mm. what is CSS tricks telling me today? <laughs> and it's just, it, it's just like, 
I don't know. CSS tricks be... telling us anything about JavaScript. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Chris. <laughs> I get plenty of tips from off that site. I'm just kidding. I know. Mostly Flexbox. Mostly Flexbox. Oh, Flexbox <laughs> is is very helpful tool for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like a thoughtfulness that mm-hmm. we we have to have as engineers. And Evan, even to your point, the your mentor at the time, who was saying like, here's the way you should think about problems, and here's why. Is like such a, that's such a good mentor. There are plenty of people that I've worked with over the years that I fortunately did not take their advice, but they're always like, you always need to do this, or you always need to do this, you always need to do this, rather than setting a clear methodology so I can make my decisions in the future. And we don't see a lot of that. We like at least what I see is just people being very prescriptive and saying, do it because I said so, rather than like do it or pick this technology and here are the reasons why. I don't know. It's just like. Software engineering is hard. There, there's a lot to think about. Even before we write a line of code, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I like that you called out the Twitter people because I think Twitter is so bad because we have to fit everything into 140 or 260 or whatever it is now characters. And I think that's why we're like, I mean, hopefully I'm not guilty of this, but I think that's why there's a lot of like, do this because I said so, because unless we want to thread it, I can't tell you all of the reasons why. And it's like, still baffles my mind sometimes why tech is on Twitter so much. Yeah. I mean, I still love it, so I don't know what to tell you, Shirley. (laughs) (laughs) No, but a great example of that is uh, micro front ends. There's been this I don't know, at least I've seen in my Twitter, there's been this recent wave of like, micro front ends are great, you should use them all the time. And, you know, you start to get excited. And so we, again, we had this use case where the client was asking us because they'd heard all the buzz that they wanted micro front ends for this case. And it was the, are you sure that's the right case? Let me, let's look into this. And um, one of my colleagues in particular really did a deep dive and she's done talks now and, and written articles as well on, you probably don't need a, that architecture. You know, that's that's component-based thinking is already getting you most of the way there. If you really have a completely separate vertical where your API, your backend, you know, your microservices and your front-end are on their own, doing their own thing, then it might be okay. But if you only have one of those, no, that's, that's not it. Just work on your app. <laughs> um, if you have several of those, sure, then that's the right use case. But, but again, Twitter would have you say, hey, this is the hip new thing. Go ahead, run with it. Uh, and that's not always the case. The micro front ends is definitely something I know Jem's probably smiling at this too, but I know we've been asked that a few times. I think back to, we were at QCon doing a panel and that was a question that came up that someone was asking us if, hey, should we use uh, micro front ends? And, you know, Sure, you can, uh, but we also had a long laundry list of reasons why you might not want to. It's just more like thinking about, it's the trade-offs. Like these, there are trade-offs to this. There's benefits to it, but there's also a lot of trade-offs that you need to think about. And it's not just because someone on Twitter was like, yeah, they're the new hotness. Don't just do that. Don't jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> that one to me, I think is always one where I'm almost... I don't know many strong cases where I'm like, yes, micro front ends is the the way to go. I would love to hear all of your thoughts if there is a strong case too, but I haven't really been convinced of it. Here, here's a tip for all, all of the uh, our front end happy hour regulars. If you ever ask a technology question, you can tell someone's seniority because the more senior they are, the more likely they are to say, well, it depends. Because that's the correct answer for any question about like, should I use this technology? It should always be like, it depends. There is no, absolutely, you should use this. Even when it comes to IDEs, people are like, which IDE should I use? I'm like, well, it depends, it, which it doesn't as, as much. But I, I surely to your, to your point, and uh, Evan, your, your point as well, like on Twitter, yes, people have to be prescriptive because you're a thought leader. But the truth is like every situation is nuanced and like there is no yes, you should use Angular for this, and yes, you should React for this, and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's the general tip for all of our front-end happier regular. It always depends. There, there, if anybody's ever saying, like, it's this, use this, and this is the one true way, and everybody else that came before me is wrong, they're wrong. It, it always, <laughs> always depends. By my way is the right way. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned from the mistakes of those 40 other people, and we definitely won't make the mistakes on number 41. Yeah, huh. you will. Uh- 
One other point to touch on here maybe is the cyclical nature of things as well. We're into micro front ends now, but we were in microservices before and we were in iframes kind of all shoved next <laughs> to each other before that. And, you know, it can feel like, oh yeah, Angular is just Java for the front end, right? A lot of people have referenced that when it was first starting out because it has a similar feel, although I really don't like <laughs> to use Java myself uh, as a backend thing. I think what's happening is we are coming back to these same concepts again and again, but they're improved by the tooling advances that have happened in the meantime, which has been really nice. Um, my prime example for this is there's a, a few ex-Googlers, uh, a few ex-people from the Angular team in particular, moved and started a company called Narwhal, and they started making these mono repository, so mono repo uh, tooling called NX. And it's not any different than Lerna or these other mono repo things that have happened before, but it it says, put your whole code base. You have multiple apps, that's great. Put it all in this one repo and make your apps as small as possible so that they import libraries. Cheers. Cheers. And those Cheers. libraries, those libraries then are where the core of all your stuff resides because they're small. They're, they're yep. really modular and you make as many of those as you need. It's cheap, but then the builds become smaller because you can make a dependency graph. So before monorepos didn't have this dependency graph, so you just had to build the whole giant thing every time, and that was super annoying. So they've solved a new problem and made it used an older technology, I guess. That's nice to see. I've definitely been on rants about the cyclical nature of software technology, especially front end, because it turns over so quickly. I guarantee you, I guarantee you in five years, maybe seven, people will be like, you know, you can write JavaScript without types, right? And it does all this inference for you. Did you all know that? And we'll be like, yeah, we were saying this when you adopted TypeScript and <laughs> you're just rich to the choir. I mean, like, we just keep coming back to the same ideas and the same patterns and we pretend like we've discovered something. And I'm like, computer science is a relatively old field. It's been around 50, 60, probably 70 years. Mm -hmm. Like these ideas have been discussed before, maybe not to the level that we're talking about, but there aren't many new ideas that like a random developer is going to come up with. They, I'm not hating on newbies, but like a lot of the ideas, you just had a brilliant idea. It's probably been thought of before. I hate to break it to you. And it's like, I don't know. I wish we'd spend a little bit more time studying and less time like focusing on the newest thing with the new Chinese homepage. I love the gem soapbox that's happening. I actually have been curious, Evan, about, I think your side project is so cool. And I feel like I'm the only person here that hasn't seen it before, probably because I haven't been on Twitter for a while. I guess I have a question, which is what were some of the features that you've talked about that were the most challenging to implement, but, or would have been challenging if not for your expertise in Angular? And then also what were like maybe some of the like funnest things that or anything that you implemented for this project that was made extra fun because of Angular. Okay, well, because of that, it's hard to say, right? Because, you know, you, or just in you, general. Sorry, sure, I'm sure. Just I, I just mean, when when you're the frog in the boiling water, you don't notice the temperature, right? So um, <laughs> it's, it's a similar concept. I'm not sure because I already had solved the problem and it's kind of blurred in my mind. But um <laughs> So one, one thing I really enjoy about Angular is that it comes with RxJS baked in. And I really like mm -hmm. these observables and streams. I don't, I still, after all these years, don't fully get them. I, I'm very, I'm self-taught in kind of everything I do. I know, you know, other people have the luxury of going to school for this, but I went to film school and a different track entirely. But that way of thinking reactively in particular with RxJS, I mean, I could throw away a lot of Angular if I could just keep that and TypeScript. And, you know, if a new thing comes along that, that provides that, maybe I'll jump on that train. That has been great. And it's helped solve some problems that would have been a lot of extra code very elegantly as well. Um, combining two streams together, let's say like, you know, you've got the, the records themselves and the metadata about them, and you need to transform those into something, let's say, change the sorting order of those records as they come in based on user input. Well, what do you do if you're not thinking reactively of that? You have to trigger the event and then on that, resort the record and then tell it to update, which is okay. The, the, the frameworks help, help with that. But when it's reactive, you just 
combine the user input stream with the actual data stream and then it's all in the same place which is also really nice and so when you go looking for bugs it you generally have a single entry point for those as well i've really enjoyed that favorite feature wise i i guess it's for me it's been the refactoring you know on a lot of big projects you don't get a chance to refactor but this is my project so i don't that's not a rule anymore i'll refactor whenever i feel like it um the the biggest time was when I was just about to go to production and I had built a whole backend using the Nest uh, JS framework, which is sort of like Angular layer on top of uh, Express for the backend. I did the whole backend there and I had my front end was doing to the services and, or well, it was doing the Redux loop and then going to the service. And then that was going to the backend, which was going to the, anyway, it was complex. Um, massive amount of files and all of this. And when I finally got to it, I was like, wait, where am I actually storing the data? Cause I just done it locally. I was like, I don't want to pay for a MySQL database or like any kind of database, honestly. I'll look into Firebase. And once I started looking into Firebase, I was like, oh, I don't need this backend layer at all. So I just deleted the whole backend completely. And it still worked exactly the same as it did before. That was a really cool moment as well. Not, you know, it you could feel like a waste if you just deleted the whole thing. But I learned something. If I ever need that again, I'll know how to do it. And it made my code base a little bit lighter and easier to reason through, less bugs. Before we jump into picks, I would love to hear, you know, since we've been talking a lot about side projects, I'd be curious to hear like all of your, maybe a piece of advice that you would give to someone who is starting a project or wanting to start those 10 projects that they've thought about, like how, you know, what advice do you give them? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start, which is um, don't reach for everything new. So uh, like I said, choose a base that you're comfortable with and pick maybe one new thing um, because it's fun to try new things, right? But, um, you know, if you haven't tried Tailwind, I, I keep going on about that because I'm super in love with it at the moment. If you haven't tried it yet, choose what you're familiar with, React or Vue, and then add Tailwind in just for this side project. So you've got at least one new thing to keep you on your toes, but don't do also Svelte and Tailwind and <laughs> RxJS because you want to try and GraphQL because you want to try some new things. No, that, that, that can be overwhelming um, and you'll just won't follow through on it. I've done that myself so many times. Um, the only way I've had a successful enough side project has been to keep it with what I was familiar with and then progressively add on new things if they were appropriate. I like that advice, like stick with the baseline so you can reason out problems in your head. And then once you're comfortable, reach out and pull in some new technologies if if you have a good grasp of the problem already but don't let the technology become another problem on top of creating your side project i like that i feel like there was something um that was that i think jem and evan both hinted at earlier which is i think jem said that um when you were more junior you did a lot of side projects to kind of learn new technology but then as you got more and more like as you got more and more comfortable with everything and you're no longer technology driven in your side projects but rather problem and solution driven um i think that's truly a really fun part um one of the advice i've always given about personal projects is personal projects are hard because you're doing it on the side of a full-time job and there's really no like there's no external motivation um, and everything has to be absolutely intrinsic. And so the um, the advice that I generally try to give is, this is coming more from the context of data visualization, but I think it could hopefully apply to a lot of other things, which is um, try to find a curiosity um, and something that you want to understand or you want to solve so that like when that project gets hard um because it always will um your own curiosity will motivate you to the other side because you're the person that wants to see what it looks like the most and when other people react positively to it that's great but you've done you've done all of this for yourself and that's what will that's what will you drive you to kind of that finishing line. Not that there's ever really a finishing line to software projects, but whatever you decide is your MVP. 
it will at least get you there. <laughs> so that's my general advice for side projects. Yeah, I mean, I would echo similar advice to that, Shirley. I think like, to me, it's also like, don't overthink it. If you have a problem that you want to solve, do it. Like, I love that too, is that you're trying to solve a problem that you care about and that that will help the motivation side of it. But also not to overthink it too. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to think about it. Like I love that Evan's now taken and shipped it to more users, but I'm sure when you first started out, it was more like, well, I mean, you were solving the problem for yourself. Then you start to figure out, oh, this could be helpful for others. Like, how do I scale that later? Um, but like, I think you can just phase it, like really like solve your problem in the dirtiest way possible and then start to figure out like how you you maybe scale it if, if you want to. Sometimes I've created something that is dirty and it does what I need to do. And I'm like, nobody else is looking at this or using it. And that's fine. It works for me and that's okay. So I think of that too. I, I, I kind of echo some similar points. Well, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we'd like to share pics of things that we've been enjoying and want to share with you all. Let's go around and share our pics. Jem, what do you have for us? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, three pics today. The first one is a show on Netflix. It's called Lupin. Uh, this is not related to the anime. People are going to like at me on Twitter. They're named the same. They have nothing to do with each other, really. Uh, anyways, the show is, it's French, uh, and it's about a, I guess he's a, I guess you can call him a thief, maybe. Uh, he's more of like a master criminal of sorts, but not the evil kind, it's the good kind. But it, anyways, I, I won't spoil anything for you, but it has all the elements I like, which is a good heist. I love a good heist. Uh, a, like kind of a overarching character who always knows what's going on and is always one step ahead of everybody. I always love stuff like that. Uh, it, it has all the elements of a, of a really good show. Um, so that's on Netflix called Lupin. Really, I'm still in the middle of it, but I'm really enjoying it right now. Uh, the second pick, this one's a little off for me because you know I, I'm against smart anything. Uh, I like my home to be disconnected from everything else. But in this case, I had a problem, which was I now have an office um, and it's it's sealed off. I, I try to minimize sound from the outside. You know, my son's running around. My cat is surprisingly noisy. So I have it all sealed off. But it turned out over time, I was just losing focus. Uh, I was making kind of like poor decisions and I couldn't figure out why. Like my, my thought process wasn't there. I like accidentally revealed like a secret that a friend told me to another friend. And I never do stuff like that. Like never, but like there's something off. So I was like, wait, is my air bad? So I bought uh, something called an aware element. It was recommended to me on Twitter and, and it pretty much monitors your air. So it monitors the heat, humidity, CO2, uh, dangerous chemicals, things like that. And it turns out that after being in meetings for several hours, the door closed the CO2 level in my office gets dangerously high. Like to the point where like a doctor would be like, you should stop, you should open a window. Cause like your judgment's now impaired at this point. And I had no idea. I just like sort of felt something was off. But now I have an, uh, an air monitor, which reminds me like, oh crap, the CO2 is really high in my room. I need to open a window just so I can uh, get some fresh thoughts out. And it's been really helpful. Honestly, like it just changed my office environment. Just having some fresh air coming in and just reminding me of that. Uh, so anybody who's working at home, I, I know you, a lot of us are, uh, <laughs> make sure you're getting fresh air. You'd be surprised how quickly CO2 builds up, especially after a day of meetings. Uh, my final pick, uh, not Valley Silicon. Actually, no, no, no. Let's do a Valley Silicon pick. For <laughs> Valley Silicon pick this week, uh, that is the point where I pick things that exist only because, well, we have too much money and they really don't need to exist. Uh, I don't know if you know about the green onion trick. Do you all know about the green onion trick? So if you're at the store, you buy some green onions, you cut the green part, you use them in your soup or whatever you're, you're using, you're cooking. I'm assuming we're all cooking a lot more. If you don't cut down to the root and you save some of the white part, if you put that in water, it will regrow. I did not know this my entire adult life. I was buying green onions like a sucker. Now I buy them like <laughs> a third of a time because I just keep growing them and growing them until they just like give up on me. However, there's a company that now sells a green onion kit. And for the low, low price of $55, I know traditionally this is a lot cheaper than uh, my normal picks, but for $55, they'll sell you a box 
with some holes in it and you put water in it and we'll grow your green onions. And the reason why at $55, this is the Valley Silicon pick is because you can literally put a green onion in a glass of water and it will grow. I am telling you, do not waste time on clever marketing or things like that. You don't even need light. They will grow without light. You just put them on your kitchen sink. So that's my, those are my picks. Sorry, a little ranty. I had, had some ranting built up over the holidays and I think I'm good now. Wow, that's amazing. All right, Evan, <laughs> what do you have for us? Okay, so um, yeah, I, I have two picks. Um, they're both related to uh, Dungeons and Dragons in particular, because why not? Um, and the first is a podcast, um, which is called The Adventure Zone. There's these three brothers that convinced their dad uh, to play Dungeons and Dragons with them, and it starts off really silly. But the the DM in particular, Griffin, is very inventive. It's not like traditional like live role playing games. It's a little more. He takes the time to script it out and move the story along past the boring parts. And it's it starts off really silly, but it is very sweet and it is very funny. And um, a few years ago, it got me into Dungeons and Dragons again. I'd wanted to play D and D since I was a kid, but then I started listening to the show. It's like I can do something similar to that. And once I finished the, the the balance arc, as they call it, this is the initial sort of D&D game. They've moved on to other stuff since. But I was hungry for more of this. And you'd think it would be weird just listening to people sit around and play a role-playing game for hours at a time, but it's not. It's great. And there's the that leads me to my second pick, which is uh, also podcast available but it also is a twitch stream and it's probably the most famous one so anyone that's into this will have heard of it it's called critical role there are a bunch of voice actors in los angeles um that you know are in games like overwatch and um uh i don't know i'm not not into video games really but a lot of other famous games and anime as well and they just sit around and play actual like four-hour sessions of dnd and stream that to the internet and they have such a huge following like every every stream is 30,000 people watching you know it's like huge and and it's also just so good like it has a lot to do with Matt Mercer the DM he is really expressive he's they're all really on point and they play their characters well and they're really engaged in the role playing part of it to the point where sometimes an hour will go by with no dice rolls because they're just playing the scenes out and doing stuff <laughs> And again, you would think that sitting and listening to four hours worth of people sitting around a table would not be that interesting, but it is so good. Uh, I cannot express my appreciation for it enough. And every time they go into like a hiatus, I'm just desperate for more of that. So yeah, those are my picks. Nice. Shirley, what do you have for us? Ooh, so I have two today. The first one is uh, my friend, Amy, who at Sailor HG on Twitter. I don't know how many people do not know her, but she's amazing. She's and she been on has... the podcast. Yes. Long time ago too. Yeah. Uh, we did the episode about freelancing together, and I still remember that she has a secret brunch place um, that she will not. Her favorite brunch place is secret, and she will not tell anyone. But she did tell us, I think, her second favorite. And anyways, so she has bubble sort scenes, which um, I absolutely love the concept of, which is um, trying to explain very difficult computer science topics in a very accessible way for like kids ages eight and up. Um, But today I uh, wanted to mention just like she has a great kind of merge line also. So I'm actually wearing her by Mary tree like buy Merry Christmas tree sweater. I'm like (laughs) pulling it up over my face to show it. Um, And I just love uh, her. um, Like, I think her designs are just so punny and clever, but from like a tech, like a feminist tech way. Um, And I think that something that's like, I think like her work is so attractive because it's just so genuinely her and it's like just what she genuinely finds like funny or adorable or outrageous. And um, I don't think there's any pretentiousness to it. So um, I guess this was just a appreciation pick for uh, Sailor HG and Bubble Sword teams. 
And the second one is a little bit out there, um, which is a company called Semi Handmade. And they're a company that does, so this is great for anyone that's like remodeling their uh, house and especially their kitchen. A custom kitchen cabinetry is extremely ex expensive in the US. Like it can easily run you like 40, 50K. But like on the other, very, very other end of the spectrum is like something like Ikea, which is like cheap and mass made and relatively okay quality, but doesn't necessarily like look great. So Semi Handmade is this company that what they do is you go and design your whole kitchen through Ikea. And once you design your whole kitchen, because Ikea just makes it like so easy to customize, you go and um, buy all of the door fronts and all of the, the kind of like uh, the size of your cabinets through semi-handmade. Your kitchen looks like it has really great high quality wood, but the internals are actually Ikea. And you end up saving like tens of thousands of dollars. And um, we actually did that for our kitchen remodel. And I think our kitchen cabinets came out to like three or $4,000 or $5,000 wow. when they like came down to it. And it Jeez. looks, I, I personally think it's a small kitchen, but I personally think it looks really great. If you just bought a house, because apparently in the US currently, at least <laughs> in the Bay, there's a lot of house buying going yep. on right now and you're trying to remodel, this might be a very good affordable option. Nice. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. I have uh, two picks. I feel like the last episode I had TV shows as well, but I, I mean, we just came off holidays. I was trying to relax and do a little binge watching. So I have two series and both are not on Netflix. They are both on HBO, which is odd for me to pick, but the undoing uh was a show that i watched over the holidays and it was so good it was like about a murder of a woman it, it's just like really interesting how the whole story unfolds i don't really want to give away too much i just think it's definitely worth watching i think it's a limited series too i'm starting to really like those types of series where it just tells a story and then it's done it's like we're not going to try and squeeze out six more seasons so I've, i really enjoyed that one and since I was paying for HBO, I thought, okay, well, I got to find something else now too. And tried the show Euphoria, which it's a different show. It's, it's interesting. It's a wild story of like high school students dealing with sex and drugs and identity and all this like wild things that happen to teenagers to an extreme. And it was, it was good. I, I, it wasn't like super bingeable. Like it wasn't where I was like, I have to watch another episode, but it was, it was a good story. I enjoyed it. Uh, so I'll recommend that one as well. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Evan for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on the episode. Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah. That, thanks for having me. I've absolute pleasure as well. Um, you can find me at Twitter uh, at Evan future. Right on. So if they have any questions for you about anything angular related or D and D that's you're, you're the man. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. You can subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on, and you can follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? Happy 2021. Yeah. Libraries. 2021. 2021. 2021. <laughs> 2021. <laughs> Libraries. Cheers. <laughs>